leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity Leadership. We'll be talking to Clint, who is a leader specifically in the red team side of things, and hear some of his perspectives on what it takes to become a leader. But first, Clint, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Thanks, Chris. My name is Clint Kerr. I I'm somewhat new to cybersecurity. I started my career in law enforcement. I was actually a local police officer for a few years and then became a federal agent with the Department of Justice, where I was a federal agent for about 11 years and found myself doing cyber investigations towards the end of my, end of my time in Department of Justice. And I started to get involved in dark web cases, which were very interesting and exciting. A little bit after Silk Road got taken down is when I got started doing that. And I just really loved doing cyber investigations. And I started to go to school for it, getting certifications in it and putting a lot of time and effort towards it. And basically had to make the decision whether I was going to continue to be an agent and possibly leave or give up all that knowledge and experience or if I was gonna make a complete shift into cybersecurity. And I decided to take a leap of faith out of the public sector into the private sector. And I've been in the private sector for almost four years now. I, yeah, about four years now. Having a number of roles in the private sector, dealing with cyber threat intelligence, and also dealing with, as you said, the red or offensive side of cybersecurity. Well, so. One of the goals of this podcast is to differentiate some of the skills and competencies needed to be a leader. So what was your decision in switching to leadership from being, instead of staying as an individual contributor? It's a great question because sometimes it's not always up to you. It's not up to you at times, whether you're going to be an individual contributor or a people leader. And that's really something when I was an agent, I got technically proficient and someone actually told me like, you're, Clint, you're too good technically to go into management. We don't want you to do that because we don't want to lose that skill set, which um, did I do myself a disservice by getting technical? But luckily where I am now, there, there are both career paths and you can rise in both sides, both people leadership and as an individual contributor. And I started as an individual contributor manager, more of a technical manager. 
But as I was doing that, I think I've gravitated towards people leadership. And hopefully I don't have any, depends how many bosses I have listening to this, but I had a lot of bad bosses. I had some good bosses, but I had a lot of bad bosses and they taught me a whole lot about how not to do things, which in, as, as I realized, like, I want to be there to not be a roadblock. I want to be there to enable and empower people. And I'm huge on mentorship and I'm huge on teaching people how to do things from a very technical standpoint. I started from the bottom. In fact, um, you know, I, I credit my dad with the fact that he ran a flexible packaging company, but he started on the floor printing the packaging. So that was the whole mentality I've had, you know, growing up was you have to be able to do the most basic level of things. You have to be able to roll your sleeves up and do the most, the, the line level things to be a great leader. And again, I think my big push was I wanted to step into people leadership because I wanted to find ways to empower people to be successful and allow them to do the work and allow them to do the job and be that intermediary between senior leadership and line level employees. And I also credit my time. I was in the Navy Reserve for about six years and I learned a whole lot about leadership there. And I th guess that was dipping my toe into more of the people leadership side of things. I am relatively new in, in the cyberspace to people leadership. I think I've been a people leader for about a year and a half. But I've really enjoyed it. I do miss I do miss being technical, and at times I get to stay technical and do technical things. But oftentimes my my job is to enable and empower the people who work with me and for me. And what were the critical skills that you feel are important for a cybersecurity leader? Sure, I think it is like I talked about. It's important to know the mission. It's important to know the job. It's important to know what your people are doing. And people come into this career field from many different other career fields. I, I, you know, I myself did not come into this really from the ground level in, in some ways, but in, in kind of the first role that I got into cyber cybersecurity, I had to eat everything up. I, I, I felt like it was my responsibility to learn as much as I could. And this is definitely a career field where you have to continue learning, where you can't just be comfortable with, oh, I have a master's degree in this, or I have a plus or CISP or whatever certification it may be. You have to continually learn. And that's how you keep growing. And as a leader, you know, maybe you don't have to be in the weeds as much. Maybe you don't, you don't have to be as technical, but you have to appreciate and understand and, and know the types of training and capabilities the people who work for you, you know, what that takes. If they ask for a training, how difficult is that? Is it is that a good investment? I, I What I do now is really focused on the training of people. And if you look at the amount of certifications I have, you might scratch your head and say, Clint, do you have an addiction to getting certifications? But it's really, I, I want to be able to ask the people who work for me, if I ask them to get a certification, I should be able to do that too. When I was an agent, I remember I was in the fire firearms range and the head of the range said, I have to be able to go out there myself and get a perfect score if that's what I expect my instructors to do. So I think I took that mentality into cybersecurity. Like if I ask somebody to do something, I myself have to do that too. Because I think there are a lot of non-technical leaders out there who put faith in, in the line level employees or, or their direct reports that they are doing the right thing and know the right thing. But I don't know how to do that. I don't think I have the comfort level of not having that technical background to 
to just to just go with it. So I really think those critical skills are getting hands on keyboard yourself, even if you're a leader. And you may think you don't have time for that. But I think if you put your mind to something and dedicate the time, you can do it. So now pivoting into some of the commonalities that we've heard from some of the previous guests, how would you rate your own comfort level with delegation on a scale of one to five and why? Sure. I'll try to, I'll try to quantify. Is five being delegation and one being no delegation? Yes. So uh, admittedly, my score would probably be maybe a two, maybe, maybe a three, because I am... You know, I am still in the trenches. I'm still doing the work. And as a line level manager, oftentimes I'm working directly with people to, to solve a problem that's on the ground. And, you know, I've been reading, I read a lot of leadership books and it's like you, you get promoted because of your technical capabilities. So, you know, in the role I'm in now, I was promoted because I was able to do the work to do the things and you're promoted because of that, but now that you're a leader, you have to be able to delegate those tasks. I find that to maybe be a common problem with newly minted leaders is the fact of how do you delegate? When do you delegate? And I have to check myself oftentimes because, you know, having that want to understand things that want to on the technical level, understand things, I wonder how much am I delegating and how much am I trying to do myself? And really how much am I empowering my people to do things without micromanaging? So when I was in the service, many examples were given of officers walking in when enlisted were doing the job and the enlisted would stop doing it because they're like, why is this officer in here doing this? And they're like, don't be that officer that's just in there getting in people's way. And I don't want to feel like that. I want to feel like if I'm there, it's not to micromanage, it's to help support people. So it's something that I guess I'm struggling with now is I want to give people, I want to empower people because naturally the best thing I can do as a leader is see the people who work for me get promoted. And that's the biggest compliment is seeing people rise up, get good ratings, get good, get good ratings and also get promoted. I need to be able to step back and delegate tasks and empower them to do whatever it is I ask them to do to be successful. Um, so that's really is lack of checking your ego, making sure that your ego is not in the way because it creeps in. And as I talked about those bad managers in the past, I think they have the commonality of being a bad manager is they put their ego in the way. Like they wanted to look better than me or they were self-conscious that I was taking training and it made them feel a certain way. And I've been very fortunate recently to have some very great managers. And where, where I work now, I, I do not see that type of mentality where people's egos get in the way. It's a very, it's a, a place where they want to see you succeed and managers like are looking for ways to get you training, are looking for ways to get you to the next level. Really your potential is un, unlimited if you want to un, unlock that. I've taken that and tried to emulate that and basically allowing my, allowing the people who work, work for me to get as far as they, they want to go. Where I don't want anything to be a barrier for them. So Hopefully that answers your question. In line with delegation, there's collaboration. How would you rate yourself on the skill or competency of collaboration on a scale of one to five and why? Sure. So I'll give myself a better rating on collaboration. Maybe may a four. My, my past life as an agent, my last duty station was as a liaison. So... 
collaboration and communication of the necessities of what I do. But, you know, in everything you, you do, or many aspects of cybersecurity, you're dealing with multiple teams. You're collaborating with multiple teams, whether it be red, blue, purple, right? Which is definitely a collaborative team there. Cyber threat intel, which I think can directly feed into both red and blue team. I think that is so important because I found oftentimes in my past life in the government, there were lots of silos and people liked having their way of doing things and don't step on our toes and things like that. And that was bad. Lack of collaboration, stovepiping was incredibly harmful. And from a historic intel perspective, it's led to very bad things happening lack of understanding of intelligence threats. So now you have me going into my past life of intelligence type things. But again, I see the shift where I work now to be an incredibly collaborative space where people want to work with each other and want to understand more. And it was a bit of a learning curve for me coming from a space where people were siloed off to a space where people were openly collaborating. And I, again, had to check myself. I'm like, I think these people are saying too much. They're giving away too much information, which understandably, you know, private and public sector have different mission sets and different goals. But that collaboration and that communication can lead to better things. For example, if I'm talking to cyber threat intel and maybe they have a honeypot set up somewhere and I say, okay, maybe for this CVE, what are you seeing? What attack payloads are you seeing? The most common ones are ones that are actually getting through WAFs, the web application firewalls. But do you have any intel on that I could use here to test for? And then they could provide that to me. And that only comes through collaboration and communication. If we were siloed off, then there would be no outlet for that. So well, that's an incredibly important tool is, is to be able to talk to people. They talk about soft skills and apparently you're not supposed to use that term anymore. Both the technical skills and the and being able to communicate with people is so essentially important. You kind of led into the next question is communication. How would you rate yourself on the skill of communication from one to five and why? Sure, I guess people will judge that. They'll judge for themselves. In the podcast, I feel and hope I'm a good communicator. And my, my past life as an agent, I took many courses on interviewing and speaking to people. That was a big thing for me is getting, obviously my goal as, a, as an agent was to get people to admit they were guilty for something. And perhaps the ultimate level of communication is getting somebody to admit to a crime that they did, openly admitting to it. How do you get to elicit that information from somebody? And that was a bit of a chess game. But it continues also in, in the private sector as well, or any sector for that matter. I think my communication, again, is probably a four. But that being said, I found communication in the private sector to be different than the public sector. In the public sector or in the military, it was like, I need you to execute on this thing, go forth and do it. And that was it. In the private sector, it's often, hey, Chris, I'm on Slack. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? How's how was your weekend? Hope everything's going great. And then eventually, it was kind of like this little dance. Eventually, I'll, I'll get to asking you what, what it is. And that was a little jarring for me because I came from this environment where it's like, you need to get this thing done. Because again, the mission sets were different. 
At times things could get a bit dangerous and, and you needed quick, clear communication. But I had to learn how to modify that for the private sector where I couldn't come across as being rude or insensitive or you can't use those same terms or that same method of communication in the private sector. You need to lead, lead with empathy when you're communicating with people and you have to dip into that empathy as well when you're speaking to somebody. Thank you for that. Leading with empathy almost ventures into next skill of being able to influence. How would you rate your ability to influence others and why? Sure. So it's funny because influence is often people think of it with a negative connotation, but as you get into leadership, I think influence is important. People need to be able to look at you as someone who's, who they can trust and knows what they're talking about. And I think influence comes from a great track record of being reliable and being trustworthy. So being reliable and trustworthy as a leader, it's so hard to build up a reputation of trust and so easy to lose that trust. And again, looking at my past leaders, there have been times where if I caught somebody in an untruth or I didn't feel like they were being fully candid with me, that trust would be damaged or lost. And the last thing you want to do is lose trust, especially with the people who work for you, is if you lose their trust, that is... That is you have to spend a whole lot of time earning that back if you ever earn it back. I'm candid with the people who work for me, and perhaps they'd tell you I'm a bit too candid at times, but I knew when I was working for folks, if they, if I felt like they were withholding information or keeping things from me or trying to pull the wool over my eyes, that I, that, that would be an incredibly uncomfortable situation for me. Looking at people above you, they too, from both below and above, they need to have that trust in you and that reliable, they need to be able to rely on you for the things they ask you to do. So I think that is what ultimately helps with your influence. And of course, expanding your network and speaking to as many people as you can. Because I think, I don't know if it's a government saying, I think it is, you don't know what you don't. The more people that, if you don't know, you don't know, but the more people you speak to, the more I think you'll understand, for better or for worse, what their goals and ambitions are and how they can help you and how you can help them. But it's only in creating those relationships with people, not only within the where you work, not insular, but expanding your network outside of just where you work. Which leads into our next topic of networking, and that is networking with people. Why is that such a critical skill? Sure. It's like I read your mind, Chris. I know. It's like I know these questions. <laughs> so networking is vital. Really, I credit where I am now because of my network. Ultimately, I, I was going to grad school and I was taking a course and I really liked it on hacking. And I had two professors, but I probably bugged one more than the other. And I bugged him so much. Hopefully it doesn't say I bugged him, but I bothered him, bugged him so much that we formed a relationship, a friendship, and I kept in contact with him and ultimately led to where I am today. And I have to be very thankful that, you know, that I took that class and, uh, and I was able to keep that network open, that communication line open. And it goes the same for him as well. A lot of people reach out to me or, or that's... It was, again, hard for me coming from the government and Intel space where you can't have an online presence to you have to have an online presence. A personal brand is huge. You need to be out there. You need to be expanding your network. 
So I think that's very important, but I say that with a caveat. And this is my caveat or caveat, depends where you're from. I'm from Philly. Network's important. Personal brand is important, but be able to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. I see a lot of people on LinkedIn with their personal brand and I'm the greatest hacker or whatever it might be. And again, I think hacker is not a pejorative term. I think hacker, I'm a hacker. Anybody can be a hacker. It's a good term. How good are they really? They're very flashy, but how good are they really? So if you're going to expand your network using your personal brand, make sure you can do the work. And again, I think that goes back just back to my background of my dad being on the printing press or me starting off my law enforcement career writing parking tickets. Like I started from the very bottom. Didn't make many friends writing parking tickets, but really knowing the job, really understanding the job that speaking about, just don't be out there to be out there to help people and train people. I think I credit a few of the jobs, a few of the things that I've done in cybersecurity to my network, specifically LinkedIn to where I've met people. So it's so incredibly important and God forbid in, in the industry today, it's very sad to see all, a lot of layoffs and things like that. But ultimately, really, it's your network that you see people reaching out to because those are the people that will help you. And don't go into your network being narcissistic or in it just for yourself. Go into the network, go into your network to help people. And I I also say this too to my folks is I, I try to live my life based on the movie Groundhog Day. So for people who haven't seen that movie with Bill Murray, great movie. Apparently, I'm told it's an old movie. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm just dating myself. But in that movie, Bill Murray relives Groundhog Day over and over again until he gets it right. Gets it right per whom? You know, per a higher power, per God, whoever it might be. But during his journey, he's trying to woo the, not, she's not a news anchor. She's his producer, I believe. He's trying to woo her and it ultimately doesn't work. But when he does get her is at the end is when he's just being a good person. When he's helping people, when he's out there doing the right thing. And that's how he gets the girl at the end of the movie is by just being a good person. And I think that's really how you have to go into networking is go into it with an open heart and an open mind to, to help people. And I say this to my mentees as well, like just because we're in a mentor mentee relationship, I have a mentor doesn't mean that my mentees can't teach me something. I'm there to teach them something, but they can teach me something as well. And, And I'm also going into teaching as well. And I, just spoke to the, some of the students the other day. And I said, hey, just because you're a student doesn't mean that you don't have something to offer. This career field's always changing. You might've heard something that I've never heard of. So please don't be shy. Please share your knowledge. And speaking of that, what other advice would you give to those up and coming leaders that are looking to get into leadership? Sure. So do some soul searching. I think ultimately as a leader, it's not a positional title. There's manager, but you can definitely be a leader without having to be a manager, whether it be technically. So I I would do a lot of technical demos. I do courses as well. And ultimately, am I a leader? In in some ways, yes. in, In leading people and helping them understand more. But, you know, go into it, try and understand what path you want to take whether it's being technically the best person you you can be and there are distinguished engineering tracks, or do you want to be a people leader? Do you want to help people? Do you want to empower people and drive the the machine forward and help people do that? 
and make the big decisions. So that was a big decision for me as well in the military was, do I want to have the strategic level thinking or the tactical level thinking? And, you know, it's a struggle for me, I say, because I want to do both. I want to be both tactical and strategic, which, you know, is ultimately a self-defeating thing. At some point you have to decide, do I want to be making the big decisions and not being hands on keyboard or not very few hands, maybe a finger on keyboard? Do I want to do that? Or do I want to stay technically the best I can and train people on how to do that? And that's to say that maybe at some point I'll decide, you know what, people leadership was great, but I want to go back to being tech, getting that technical mastery and being a distinguished architect. And I've seen people do that. I've seen people go from people leadership to, um, to individual contributor. Uh, and I just read a book about failure and how failure is ultimately a key driver in success uh, to some people that might seem illogical. But failure is part of the process. As a hacker, I think I know that all too well, that, that you fail a lot of times before you succeed. So don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to dip your toe into certain aspects of leadership, whether it's technical leadership, whether it's people leadership, and go into it again with an open mind that you may fail and you may have to take a step back or you may fail and have to fail forward and let those failures help you be a better leader. Again, be willing to fail, rely on your network, have mentors, have mentees, especially have mentees if you want to be in leadership. I think the best way is to give back, especially because I don't think anybody has this journey alone. I think everybody has people who have helped and supported them. And the best way to give back to people is to help others. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all that great advice today, Clint. And for those of you listening, thank you so much. You can find Clint's LinkedIn profile in the details below and share and follow us on all the major platforms, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitch, Twitch. So we're out there and we really need lots of diverse perspectives and diverse backgrounds and diverse approaches to really solve all the complex problems of today. Clint, thank you for coming and have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Chris. Take care. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.